Welcome back to Dirty Chai Chats, a podcast all about sexual health, love, and relationships at Tufts. I'm Gabby. I'm Sophie. And I'm Gio. First and foremost, we would like to note a trigger warning as the topics being discussed today will address sexual assault. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and we've invited Emma, Associate Prevention and Response Specialist from the CARE Office. Emma will be discussing triggers, navigating relationships as survivors, navigating relationships with survivors, healing practices, and will further discuss resources available at Tufts. To learn more about this topic, you can head over to at CareTufts on Instagram and read their post on navigating sex with triggers. And if you want to get in contact with the CARE office on your personal time, you can make an appointment online. With that, let's get started. Thank you for being here today, Emma. To get started, can you introduce yourself and discuss your role with the CARE office? Absolutely. My name is Emma Cohen. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the Associate Prevention and Response Specialist in the CARE office. So I'm a confidential resource for anyone who's been impacted in any way by sexual misconduct, people who've been directly harmed, um, those who are supporting friends or loved ones, people who've witnessed harm, as well as those who've caused harm. Um, And what confidential means in this context is that CARE doesn't share any information with anyone else on campus. We don't report to OEO or to the university or TUPD or anything else. It's completely confidential. Thank you so much for sharing that. So can you tell us what are triggers and what causes them? During an experience of sexual violence, we're not in control of what's happening to our body. And so our brain registers that as a dangerous situation. And in dangerous situations, the brain is trying to learn and remember as much as possible about what is going on so that it can be prepared for any similar situations in the future, right? So if you got stung by a bee, next time an insect is buzzing by you, your brain would be like, oh, hell no, right? Like you Mm -hmm. learn from your experiences. So sometimes later, when something reminds our brain of the dangerous situation, the brain can react like we are once again Mm. in the dangerous situation itself. So we might feel really anxious. We might have that fight, Mm. flight, or freeze response. We might get flooded with memories. We might totally shut down. And triggers can be anything. It might be a smell. It can be a certain way of being touched. It could be a sound Mm. or a place. Basically, anything that reminds the brain of the situation that it had deemed dangerous can later be a trigger. And I do want to say that it's a great idea Like, it's a really kind and loving thing Mm -hmm. our brain is trying to do to keep us safe. The problem Mm -hmm. is that we can have triggers when we really don't want to or when we know we're safe and Mm -hmm. they just kind of get in the way. So with this in mind of what triggers are and what can potentially cause them, how can someone go about communicating these potential triggers with a partner? The first thing is that you get to decide how much or little you want to share. I think that sometimes when people have experienced trauma or sexual violence, they feel like they owe it to a partner to have to tell them everything or they need to justify any trauma symptoms they're having. Like you do not have to share your story with anyone you do not want to share your story with. Um, And some people know exactly what triggers them and other people like it's really hit or miss there or they just haven't learned yet. Right. This is an ongoing process of healing and Mm self-discovery. So um, I always recommend that people talk to partners beforehand right like in the moment when you're feeling flooded with memories or really overwhelmed it can be challenging to be like oh here is verbal way of communicating exactly what's happening to me and how i'm feeling so it can be helpful if you feel safe with a partner to have a conversation with them in advance um and you can again share what you want so you could say something like when you do this 
Mm. It makes me feel really flooded or overwhelmed. I need you to never do that. Or maybe you're like, sometimes having my nipples touch is great. Other times it's triggering. Can you just always make sure to ask for consent before you touch my nipples? Even if I seem really into it, just because of what I've been through in the Mm -hmm. past, Mm -hmm. I always need to check in before my nipples get Mm -hmm. involved. Or maybe it's just really vague. Like I've been through some shit and I don't really want to talk about it. But just so you know, sometimes sex can get kind of tricky. I just want to give you a heads up. So you can be as specific or as vague as you want. And again, you are the only person who gets to decide how much you share. I think that's really helpful to think about triggers in this way and how to communicate them effectively with a partner. On the flip side of that, if you are in the moment with someone and they're a hookup from, let's say, a dating app and you feel triggered in the moment, but you don't feel super comfortable communicating that with them, how do you go about that more generally if it happens in the moment and before it even happens? Those are super important questions. So This will be different for everyone, again, because we're at different levels of awareness of what our triggers are. And like you said, there's so many different situations where you'd be hooking up with someone or potentially doing something sexual with someone. So the first thing I'll say is that you don't have to explain what's happening to get Mm. the result that you want, right? In a sexual situation, you could be like, actually, I need to stop. And you don't have to be like three years ago at a party, This right? Like yeah. you don't need to give context if you don't want to. At any point during a hookup of any kind, you are allowed to ask for a pause. You can go to the bathroom. You can get water. You can be like, I'm done. Get out of my room. Like yeah. you have sexual agency, right? And hopefully your partner is respecting your boundaries as you're asking for a pause or asking to stop. Mm-hmm. But yeah. just because you're feeling triggered doesn't mean you have to share any part of your story, right? So if it's someone new, you maybe don't want to be vulnerable in that way and be like, right? here's yeah. this the mm-hmm. most horrible thing that ever happened to me. Let me tell you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can absolutely be like, actually, don't take my pants off yet. Or like, I just want to make out tonight. Or yeah, anything you feel comfortable with. Like sex mm-hmm. sometimes gets kind of tough for me, so I want to take things slow. Again, you get to choose how much context you give, um, but that if you are feeling like you want to stop, you get to ask for that at any time, no matter what. Yeah, I think that's really important to remember because I think a common narrative that I've heard from a lot of peers is this idea that if you have something that triggers you, especially when being intimate with someone, like you have to share that so they understand and part of this dialogue, but that's really helpful in the framing of you don't have to share that because it is this personal thing to you. So I really appreciate it, you saying that. And you can also always, like, you can be upfront with consent and boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you are, mm-hmm. if you know that boundaries are tricky or there's a few things that are really going to trigger you or make this hookup not a fun hookup all of a sudden, right. you can be like, hey, what are you into? Here's some things I love and here's some things I do not want you to do. And that's you know, hopefully, ideally, is a part of any sort of hookup you're having where you're like, what do you like? Here's what I like. Nope, don't take my shirt off yet. Like, yes, a finger in my butt would be great. Like, whatever you're doing that you're talking about it in some right. way. Um, so you can feel empowered to bring up those boundaries mm-hmm. and consent if, again, you feel comfortable in that context. If it's right. you know, a stranger, it might be a little yeah. more awkward. That's a really great lead in, like talking about like some of those like communication skills and like when needing to share and when communicating boundaries or like communicating consent for things into a broader context of like how can someone be a supportive sexual partner to a survivor and like what does that look like in a hookup context or in a long term relationship or just being a romantic partner to a survivor in general? That's a super important question. The first thought I have is that we have to remember that not everyone identifies as a survivor, Mm. right? So you might have in your head like, oh, here's how I would support a survivor. 
But maybe you're dating someone who's like, oh, I had this kind of weird thing happen last year. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't register like, oh, they are a survivor of sexual violence. Um, So yeah. those words sometimes are really helpful. And also we need to remember like the way people tell us their stories might be not use that language. And we need to think about like how we're still showing yeah. up for folks. But I have two thoughts about that. So if you know that the person that you are hooking up with or talking to or whatever has experienced sexual violence, you can be proactive, right? You've now listened to this podcast. You could be like, you told me about that thing that happened last summer. I know that stuff can really impact people. I'm wondering if there's anything I should definitely do or definitely not do that would help mm-hmm. you feel safe and empowered. Or like, oh, I know that you know you're safe right now. Is there anything we could do together to help remind your body that you're safe? Mm-hmm. Like you can be proactive and loving and creating spaces where they you're asking them to speak up or giving them space at least um, to state their boundaries. And you can mm-hmm. model that, right, for them as well. And then just consent. For people who have triggers, things can really turn on a dime, right? And it's not your fault. Like if you're hooking up with someone who has experienced sexual harm, you might be doing something that they have loved in the past or that, Mm -hmm. you know, it seems like things are going great and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're totally spaced out or they seem really upset or however they respond to the trigger that's happening. So the more you can ask for consent in advance, the better. And I think there's this myth that consent ruins the moment. It's totally not sexy, (laughs) right? That you have to be like, may I please touch your left breast? Like, (laughs) right? But there's like a lot of ways that you can have consent be really part of what's going on Mm -hmm. right like is this okay are you ready for a blowjob or do you want to wait like is there anything Mm -hmm. i can do that would make you feel amazing right now there's a lot of ways to talk about sexual stuff and making it really clear there's no pressure so asking like can i take your pants off 10 times in a row is not healthy consent right but being like do you want me to take your pants off i'm totally happy to keep making out if you don't want to right so again Mm -hmm. modeling that there's lots of options, that you are interested in their boundaries, you are interested in them having sexual agency in the situation is a really healthy thing you can do with someone who has experienced sexual violence and honestly with anyone that you're hooking up with. That's a great call. I'm also thinking about when you were talking about how some people might identify as survivors and other people might not, like how can survivors cope with stigma placed externally on their experiences and like what can survivors do to to heal? Yeah. First thing is that we need to constantly remember that more people are survivors than we know about. And the media loves, you know, a frightened Mm. white woman survivor. And that is absolutely not the only kind of survivor, right? Not on this campus, not in the city, not in our country, right? That men are survivors, trans folks are survivors, non-binary people are survivors, Mm. people of color are survivors. Like, especially, right, Um, that actually straight white women are not the biggest demographic of people being harmed yeah, by sexual yeah. violence. So I, first of all, I think, right, that if you're hooking up with some straight dude, like he could still be a survivor. We have to remember that mm-hmm. survivorship takes a lot of different forms. Um, and I think I, I agree with you. There's a lot of stigma, right, or a lot of expectations about like, oh, you're a survivor, so you're damaged, or you're a survivor, mm-hmm. so you are, love sex, or there's lots of weird mm-hmm. stereotypes yeah. that are often based on trauma responses people have seen um, or that the media has misrepresented but i'd say that isolation is the hardest piece like it's a big barrier to healing it's a barrier Mm. to self-discovery in a lot of ways so i I encourage like that people remember that healing looks different for everyone Um, and then it can be really helpful to be with others so that might mean talking to someone i care that might mean having a therapist that might mean telling a trusted friend or a sibling that might mean being part of ASAP and going to their survivor spaces here on campus. 
that might mean working for social justice and trying to spread awareness about sexual violence with other people. And which isn't to say, of course, there's also a lot of healing that can happen through like journaling or through yoga or like dancing around in your room or going for a run. Healing can happen sort of within yourself. But I do think that in terms of the stigma and the kind of isolation that can come from that, that being in Mm -hmm. community Mm -hmm. in some way can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. And the number of times someone sat down in my office and shared with me what happened and I've just shared some basic information about trauma and how sexual violence can impact people. Mm. And they've just been like, whoa, just knowing that, that I'm not crazy or that I'm not alone is so helpful. Um, Mm. So for me, yeah, I found that isolation is the biggest barrier to healing and that any way that people can be connecting, um, Mm. healing really happens in relationship, whether that's a sexual relationship or just with a friend, with a pet, with nature Mm, more broadly, with someone I care. There's a lot of different ways to heal. So thank you for talking about triggers and what causes them and how we can communicate with like our partners in like different contexts, whether it's like a relationship or just like hookup culture. But other than navigating triggers caused by sexual assault in a relationship or hookup, what resources are available for individuals at Tufts who have been assaulted? So I'll plug care again, right? So we are completely free, completely confidential. You can make an appointment straight through the care website care.tufts.edu and you can have an an anonymous appointment so you could put a fake name you could put your initials in we do not need to know who you are to provide you with support Um, and we do not need to know anything about what happened so I think a lot of people are like well I don't want to connect with a resource because I'm gonna have to like sit in a room and like tell my whole story to somebody and that Mm -hmm. is not true there are plenty of people who I have supported I have no idea what happened to them it doesn't matter because I believe that something happened and we're thinking about how it has impacted them and Mm. healing from the impact. So you can come to care. You don't have to tell your story. And also there's other confidential resources here on campus that folks can utilize. Chaplaincy is completely confidential. CMHS, right, if you want to see a counselor or therapist from CMHS, that is also a confidential resource. There are also hotlines, right? Some people want something that if something happened to them at Tufts, they don't want healing to be happening at Tufts, right? They want to Mm. connect with someone off campus. So Mm -hmm. the Boston Area Rape Crisis Center, BARC, has a hotline, right? They have counselors. They have free services. RAIN is a national hotline Mm -hmm. and text line. It's actually one of my cousins founded. I'm very proud of. Um, (laughs) So that's some people are like, I don't want to talk to someone on the phone. I just want to text with somebody. So RAIN has a text Mm -hmm. line. And there's lots of ways to get support from folks who aren't affiliated with Tufts because sometimes it just feels really not useful to have the resources be here at campus. And then, yeah, I mentioned ASAP. So that's Action for Sexual Assault Prevention. They are a student-run, survivor-centered group, and they Mm -hmm. have survivor spaces twice a month where survivors can be together. It's not a support group. It's just a space for folks to be in community together. Mm -hmm. Cool. And then if someone was assaulted here at Tufts and they want to take some kind of action officially, the Office of Equal Opportunity, OEO, is where you would go to actually report some sort of Title mm. IX violation. And CARE can help you with that. So we can be your support person, help you navigate through the pretty complicated system sometimes, mm. right? And people have lots of questions. So that's part of my job, too, is that I will mm. be your support person as you go through an OEO process. And you can get support from OEO without actually investigating. So you could get a no-contact order if you just want to make sure you don't have to be in any classes with that person who harmed you or that you don't want to run into them in DWIC or whatever. You do not have to have an investigation with OEO in order to get a no-contact order. You mm-hmm. th- the other things, too, like getting your dorm room changed or things like that. There are lots of ways, actually, that there's so many more staff that are here to support you all than you all probably know about. But mm-hmm. behind the scenes, there is so much that we can do for you. 
even if you don't want to actually report officially to the university that something happened. That's really good to know. And when you were just talking about like the resources that the care office provides, like you mentioned that like a huge role of the care office is providing resources to people who have caused harm onto others. And what does that look like? What are the resources that care provides to people who have caused harm? Yeah, so I'd say it's a it's part of what we do. Definitely the majority of folks who come to our office are people who have experienced harm or are supporting people who have experienced harm. Sometimes people come to our office because they receive feedback from a partner or from a hookup or a friend mm-hmm. of a friend who heard something that they actually did cause harm and they are freaked out. They want some support. They are trying to learn. It's their own initiative. So I've definitely mm-hmm. met with students like that who are like, okay. I heard I made someone uncomfortable at this event and I really want to make sure it doesn't happen again. Can we mm-hmm. talk through what I might have been doing wrong or mm-hmm. can we can we think through consent? I want to make sure that I am doing it the right way. I didn't have great sex ed. I thought I was doing it well, but then I heard that mm-hmm. actually I'd really upset someone. So sometimes people come in of their own volition. They really want to learn. Um, and sometimes as part of an OEO process, mm-hmm. um, that part of the sort of consequences that come from being found in violation of the student code of conduct is that you need to meet with someone at care. So sometimes people are sent to our office to, again, mm-hmm. be talking about consent, yeah. to be talking about code of conduct stuff, how to mm-hmm. be respectful in relationships or during hookups. Um, so those conversations take a lot of different forms depending on what brings someone in um, and what their needs are and what their their own personal goals are in terms of learning more about this topic and taking accountability for their actions. Well, it's really powerful that uh, the care office can provide that to students. Yeah, and we feel really strongly that people who have been harmed should receive services Mm -hmm. and that that is the absolute priority. And we care a lot about prevention. And if I can sit down with someone who's harmed someone and be part of making sure that doesn't happen again, that is something I'm very open to, right? My door is wide open. Um, Completely understand there are folks who do this work who don't want to talk to folks who've caused harm or respondents in OEO complaints. And that makes a lot of sense, right? We've all been through our own personal experiences that might make that feel not approachable. Mm -hmm. But for the folks at CARE, we feel very strongly that we will talk to anyone about anything because we are trying to do prevention in any way that we can. If a student needs support over the summer, is the CARE office open? Yes, we are open over the summer. We'll be here in person if folks are near campus and want to come in. And we're also available for Zoom meetings as well. That's awesome. Do you have any other last pieces of advice or information before we close for today? I think I just want to share that this all looks really different for everyone. Mm -hmm. And that just because your friend was a survivor or someone you know was harmed, it does not mean that what happened to you isn't valid because their story was different. Um, Or the way that someone else is healing doesn't need to be the way that you are healing, right? We hear a lot like healing isn't linear. Um, which kind of sounds like everyone rolled their eyes now, right? But like your healing journey, but like it's true, right? Like it really can look different at different times in your life. And I just always trying to talk with people about having patience and gentleness with ourselves as we navigate Mm -hmm. through all of this. Um, And that there are lots of people here at Tufts and in the wider world who do want to support folks who have been harmed and whose like full job or full life mission or full thing they're doing as a student on campus is to support folks who have experienced sexual violence in some way so we are here for you and you're not alone thank you so much for all of your words and advice and for being here and sharing your expertise on this topic we really appreciate you part of sex health refs and appreciate all the the work that you do for care thank you for having me thanks for all you do
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dirty Chai Chats. We hope this episode can help serve as a guide and education around sexual assault, awareness, and triggers. The Care Office is a great confidential resource to talk about sex and relationships, whether that is around a sexual experience, assault, or concerns about a relationship. Thank you again, Emma, for sharing your insights and to the SHR team who worked on making this episode. Until next time.